Hi there. I'm Joe Dudek, president and founder of Keyhole Marketing. And I'm Shannon Jarek. I work for Keyhole as the assistant brand manager. And this is Metaphorically Speaking, a podcast that explores the mysterious side of marketing. Welcome to this episode of Metaphorically Speaking. We had the pleasure of chatting with Suzanne Palazzo, who is the creator and owner of Upper Deck Fitness in Samford, Connecticut. So if you followed along from our last episode, due to just the coronavirus, we are still going back into the archives and kind of pulling out interviews that we did with entrepreneurs um, in years past. So yet again, this is a conversation that happened many years ago, but we're pulling it out because we think it's a really inspiring conversation and relevant to people today. So Joe, Connecticut, Colorado, nowhere close to each other. How in the world did you and Suzanne even get connected (laughs) in the first place? Yeah, that was uh, back in 2005. I guess we first initially met mostly through email phone calls probably. I was working at the time in Chicago downtown and at a company called Information Resources Incorporated. And um, they would basically, super sexy company, they would pull Mm -hmm. data, they would basically buy data from grocery stores, uh, drug stores, that kind of stuff. And we would, as we would help out journalists as they would be putting a story together. So maybe USA Today, Wall Street Journal, was writing a story on you know snicker sales or something from the last year, um, and we would just find out how much were sold in the last year and send them that data. So mostly it was me just <laughs> navigating through spreadsheets and databases and pulling out boring facts and figures. You miss it, I can tell. Super, yeah, <laughs> please, I, please let this interview, let this podcast be my my resume for the, for them to hire me back. But if you work for IRI, contact Joe. Today, yes, right. <laughs> um, actually, my old boss does still work there. Um, so, anyways. She and I got connected. She worked at the time through um, at what was it, grocery headquarters, and a trade kind of a trade magazine that worked in that space. And periodically, she would reach out to me for some some data for a story she was doing. And it wasn't too long in our first conversation where we realized we were both kind of like just worn out by our jobs, weren't really fulfilled mm-hmm. in those roles, and we probably spent more time commiserating on uh, <laughs> the work than we were actually doing the work. But yeah, um, getting paid. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Um, yeah, I wonder why they're not going to hire me back. That's weird. Um, <laughs> but no, it was like it's it was a good friendship right out of the gate. And I guess it's been 15 years that we knew each other. Um, she worked there for a while and then started this thing um, a few years back. Um, so yeah, it's been a good, a good friendship for a long time. And it's so great to see kind of how far she's come since then mm-hmm. to start her own business. Yeah. I thought the conversation was just super inspiring and you even just mentioned it. She just goes into detail about how she was kind of unfulfilled with where she was at and how that led her to not even just initially starting upper deck fitness, but just it led her in this path to where she is now. And what I appreciated too is she brought in such a good element of both being a writer and a journalist and a dancer, you know, or somebody who's passionate about fitness. And you can see just that combination collide so well. And she just articulates that so well. And I love how she just reframes the whole conversation around fitness. You know, for so many people, 
the motivation is, is really unhealthy, even though fitness feels like a healthy thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and she just dives so much deeper than the physical attractiveness, maybe that people want out of it or, you know, oh, this sucks. I'm in pain. I'm working out. So I love how she just reframes that whole conversation and her brand. is just, you know, kind of wrap their arms around how do we make fitness a lifestyle? How do we take it deeper? How do we actually listen to people? It isn't just about going to the gym. It's listening to their wives and being able to just mesh fitness and a healthy lifestyle into that. So I'm all worked up. I thought it was so cool um, (laughs) just listening to her like talk about it and share her journey. It sounds like you just got a workout in right there. Just kind of I did. Like, I just like my heart rate is accelerating. <laughs> Perfect. <Yeah. laughs> She'll be happy to hear that. No, I think like it, what's interesting too about her story as a dancer, I mean, she started dancing at such a young age and in an area of the country that, you know, it was a big deal. It wasn't just sort of like a side gig just to like keep, keep her away from like her parents for four hours a day. It was <laughs> sure. a serious deal that, that was, um, yeah, just pushed really hard. And I think she saw a lot of good from that, but she also saw a lot of negative from that. And she was able to mm-hmm. kind of log, um, you know, like, okay, how do we make these things healthy for people? And I don't know that she saw it as a young age that she wanted to, how she was going to use that, but it's been fun to see how she's made kind of the unhealthy parts of that transform into healthy, into a healthy business and help mm-hmm. people see you know, not only how can they live physically healthy, but mentally healthy in the right place and see like, where should these things fit in, in the right place? So it's also kind of interesting, like just in this time of life where we're really trying to, you know, navigate through such a, a new experience and it's different for every person um, because we all already had our own baggage before COVID and now we're, you know, have mm-hmm. new baggage that we didn't expect. And, you know, I, I just talking to her before we went live with this podcast, you know, it was great to hear from her that her business is doing really well. They already had a virtual mm-hmm. virtual training business going so people can still get their mental, their physical health, but also get checked in mentally and make sure that their mental health is right. strong as well. So that was cool to see um, that they're doing well, but also that, that people are still getting the treatment that they need during this time. So mm-hmm. hopefully you'll enjoy this conversation from a few years back and find some, some nuggets of truth that might be helpful for you as well. Maybe just like, just to kind of get the the whole thing started. I mean, I was thinking about how when we first met, that was like a lifetime ago, but two things stood out to me back then was just like, you were a writer and you were a dancer, which I thought was a really interesting pairing of art forms. So kind of talk through the journey of how both of those arts came, uh, how you got to connect to each one of those and built those out and, um, just got interested and passionate about those. Sure. Um, so to me, both dancing and writing are forms of communication. Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously I started training at a very young age, you know, recreationally, like most young girls do at the age of three, taking dance, um, just because it was something to do. And, you know, relatively early on, I guess I showed some promise. (laughs) Um, and I can remember from a young age also very quickly falling in love in the physicality of it. Mm. Um, you know, liking the concept of, you know, my body facing a challenge, you know, replicating movement that I saw on somebody else. Um, you know, it's certainly a visual art form. And as I grew older and by that, I just mean like into my teens, that's when it started to become a form of expression. Mm. Um, so, you know, dance is 
ingrained in me. I consider it part of my DNA. And to this day, even though I'm not actively performing and training, I would probably put dancer on the top 10 words I would use to describe me because Hmm. to me, um, there's a lot more to it than just, you know, an individual who performs. There were a lot of other, um, skill sets and characteristics that became embedded in me through the dancing, such as, you know, discipline and work ethic and focus. Um, But I danced, you know, through college, I went to Fordham University at Lincoln Center, where I trained at the Ailey School, um, Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater for four years. Um, And it was probably four of the toughest years of my life. And Mm. that's saying a lot, considering what I've been through since then. Um, But it was a very trying program. It was meant to be. It was kind of like a make you or break you type scenario. Um, We started our freshman class with 30 dancers and we graduated with half of that. Um, And during that time, I was very aware of what a career in the dance world would be like and knew that I needed to have a backup. Um, And that's why I also studied journalism while I was at Fordham. Um, That was kind of my plan B. Mm, Okay. Um, And writing kind of like dancing was something that always came naturally to me. Um, you know, again, it's that communication piece. I love the concept of telling a story. Um, I really enjoy being persuasive when I'm passionate about something, you know, I enjoy coming up with a compelling argument to get somebody on my side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the two during college kind of dovetailed very nicely. And then I did dance professionally out of school, Um, but learned very quickly that from a lifestyle perspective that pursuing a career in dance was not necessarily my forte. Um, it's to say it's a labor of love is an understatement. Um, and you know, a lot of the cliches you hear in regard, you know, the black swan movie, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, you know, and in particular, quite honestly, I started to run into some issues. I guess this is kind of foreboding as I'm talking to you. Um, I was running into issues with artistic directors, um, Mm -hmm. and meaning dealing with egos, telling me what to do simply for the sake of telling me what to do. Um, I had a voice and was told on more than one occasion to keep it quiet and that there was no place for it. Um, and that really never sat right with me. Mm -hmm. And, um, one of the analogies I've always used is that being an artist sometimes or being a dancer or performer is being a puppet in somebody else's parade. Um, And it just wasn't sitting right with me. So I made the excruciating decision to leave the dance world, uh, much to my family's chagrin. Um, And at first, my thought was to pursue writing. And I was lucky enough to land an internship with um, a publication known as Dance Magazine. And it's the premier consumer publication for dancers. Um, and I started working there and really loved that lifestyle of editing and kind of the fast pace, the deadlines. It really suited me really well. I was writing about dance. It was great. Um, and dance magazine was owned by the same company that owned grocery headquarters. Uh, Um, so I 
while I was doing the internship, ended up being offered a full-time position um, for a trade publication that on the surface I had zero interest in, but, you know, I took it because it was paying work um, and things kind of escalated there in a great way very quickly because I worked for a really awesome boss who saw that I had some talent um, and kind of let me take the ball and run with it. Um, and while I was there, I obviously always had a, so I stopped dancing and I became a gym rat. Uh, yeah. because I went from training, you know, and rehearsing eight hours a day to sitting behind a desk eight hours a day. So <laughs> yeah. there was all this excess energy. Um, so I spent my free time at the gym and became very interested in fitness and, you know, just generally taking care of myself. I had to really pay attention to what I was eating because I wasn't dancing eight hours a day anymore. Right. Um, so I kind of became in the office this resident health person that people would come to and ask questions and kind of get feedback on. Um, and my boss at the time, you know, I was kind of, he was interested in it. And I was explaining to him, this was back, you know, God. 2004, 5, 6, 7. Mm -hmm. um, this is when wellness, if you will, and in grocery stores was just starting to make an appearance and mm. dedicated sections and, you know, Whole Foods was starting to finally have a name for itself. So he allowed me to create a section in the magazine that was about the selling and the marketing of natural and organic foods. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm grateful for it because it allowed me to take this job at a trade publication that was seemingly pointless. Um, and I kind of created something with it and literally created, like I had a team of, you know, other editors that worked with me, you know, the art department. Um, and it was the very early stages of some kind of management responsibilities and just creating something mm -hmm. from scratch, which yeah. I, that process, the vision and implementation piece, I absolutely fell in love with. That's cool. Thank yeah. you. What were some of the things you just talked about it kind of quickly, but I was curious when you go from dancing eight hours a day to sitting at a desk eight hours a day, what are some things that you had to discover about yourself? You had to change health wise and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, my, it might seem silly cause I was rather young at the time, but my body started to hurt from not moving. Hmm. Um, so that was a real like aha moment for me that, you know, not only the stretching piece, but just activity, um, you know, the body was designed to move. Obviously nobody knows that more than I did. Um, so when you take that away and then you compound it by literally sitting, um, and I was commuting at the time, I was commuting an hour and a half in each direction, which was all sitting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my body honestly went from one extreme to the other. So that piece was very challenging. Um, I also found that the lack of movement really affected my mood, yeah. not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, not only has movement always been a bit of an emotional release for me, but in particular, and this is really one of the main tenets behind Upper Deck at this stage, movement for me is my primary source of confidence and empowerment. So, you know, at the time, and I, I was getting up at a god awful hour.
hour to go to the gym before I got on the train to go to work, but pushing myself through that workout, um, doing something that I potentially doubted I was able to do and then emerging on the other side, having done it, um, really set the tone for my day in a very positive way. Mm. Um, and it was quite honestly a bit of a different relationship for me with exercise because dance can be grueling. Um, again, you're doing things because you're often told to do them. And the notion is more is more. Um, and it's not always what's best for the body. So I became curious, um, also about what I was putting in my body from a nutritional standpoint, because what I started to learn was when I was dancing, I was very hyper aware of my intake. Um, but I would say in a negative way, I, obsessed. I calorie counted. I journaled. I documented. I weed myself on a regular basis. Um, tendencies I can now see were very, in hindsight, were very unhealthy. Um, a lot of the things I thought I was eating for health, you know, were really just fat-free, sugar-free, calorie-free things because I was so focused on maintaining my weight which is an unfortunate consequence of being a dancer mm -hmm. as opposed to the actual quality and nutrition of my food. So I started to get a lot more interested into what I was eating. Um, and then, yeah, I, I didn't have as much wiggle room, quite honestly, when you're not dancing eight hours a day, you, you have to kind of, um, be aware of quantity as well as quality. Um, and that was kind of a, a new place for me to be. Um, but I, I kind of became fascinated by it because I realized that there were so many people out there utterly confused about what they should and should not be doing because there is so much conflicting information out there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, and unfortunately it's a, it's a, it's a big business, oh, you know, yeah. and I don't know that people always understand that, that there are companies out there, there are businesses, there are people, a ton of people in my industry that ultimately don't care about the true well-being of the individual. They are just trying to sell you a product or a service. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You said something in there in the first thing about, um, Sort of the, those are the hardest years at Fordham um, yeah. in your life, which says a lot based on what you've been through since. Would you be willing to share just some cliff notes of sort of what you've been through since, just to kind of paint a picture of of your life from then? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's there's been a lot of uncertainty, um, and to be clear, I'm incredibly blessed and fortunate, and wouldn't trade an ounce of my experiences thus far for anything. Um, but you know, I got married and I got divorced, um, very unforeseen and, um, turned my world upside down in a lot of ways, but was part of a process of personal discovery, um, and helped me land where I am right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and while that was all happening, I also, I left one really great job for what I thought was an even better one. Um, and that transition proved to be difficult. And then the even better one proved not to be what it promised to be on the surface. Yeah. Um, and at one point, I guess three years ago, um, I was divorced and unemployed. Mm -hmm. And for me, uh, you know, in my young thirties, if you had ever told me that that's where I would be, it felt like rock bottom. Right. Yep. Um, 
and, and more so on many levels. And I admit again, in hindsight, that it was a lot of, I was very concerned about perception. I was very concerned. I had worked very hard to build up both my personal and professional lives. And I felt like I was letting a lot of people down, even though in my heart of hearts, every decision I had made felt very right and very instinctual and very necessary. Uh, and I could see now without a doubt that all of that change needed to happen to get me where I am right now, which feels incredibly right. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was a very challenging time because every step of the way, every minute of the day, you're basically asking yourself, am I doing the right thing? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for sharing that. Sure. So without kind of diving into the upper deck fitness thing quite yet, but just talk a little bit about how, how fitness as a profession came, came to like on the horizon. Like how did that come about? Yeah. Um, well, again, so I was at the magazine and kind of became the office health nut and people started asking questions and I just kind of sensed that there was, it was very preliminary, but I started to realize that there was a need to properly communicate information that a lot of the confusion and a lot of the things people were doing incorrectly stemmed from the fact that not only was that there was all this conflicting information out there, but that it wasn't being dialed down to the basics. It was making being made a lot more complicated than it needed to be. So it was kind of where my writing brain kicked in because I started to come up with ways to just, even in an email, give somebody three bullet points of here, do this, this, and this for the week and see how you feel. (laughs) Um, I also, while I was there, went to, uh, while I was at grocery headquarters, I went to what's called the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. Um, And I originally went really to enhance my writing because I was writing about this up and coming segment within the food industry. I thought I was going to learn a lot about food and nutrition. Um, it's now strictly an online program. When I went, it was an actual schooling that I, you know, a physical place that I went to. Um, and I, I really didn't know until I got there that their main objective was to, educate you so that you could become what they call a health coach. Um, so I went into it with, I'm just going to learn as much as I can and, you know, apply it to my writing and certainly to my own personal life. But I, I did not have this real intent to become a coach myself. Um, but while I was there, I started to kind of think what, what would be my style and approach if I was to go down that road? Because I was talking to people that, you know, everybody has their own platform, um, their own philosophy, their, you know, what they stand behind. Some of it I thought was crazy. Um, Some of it was like, that doesn't really jive or resonate with me. Um, And it was kind of like, who would I want to attract? You know, what would be my messaging? Um, Again, kind of that communications piece, that marketing piece coming into my brain. Um, And I started to kind of toy with the idea of going into the industry all the while I was getting sick and tired of sitting at a desk all day. Mm. Um, and the handwriting was kind of on the wall that as long as I continued in the publishing field, there was going to be a lot of sitting, a lot of kind of stagnant (laughs) work. (laughs) So again, I was blessed with the boss that I had who, you know, I kind of told him that I was contemplating this and he gave me the opportunity to kind of start dabbling in it while, um, 
maintaining some freelance work. So I didn't have to like jump ship completely in order to try it out. Um, I started promoting myself, um, kind of loosely with friends and family and offering some services for little to no fee just to kind of get some practice. Um, and that's kind of initially how I dabbled. I went and got some fitness certifications that I needed to obviously do things authentically. Um, and it was a very gradual yet organic process that I, you know, I initially, like I said, kept some freelance work, started taking on some clients, training them in their homes. Um, and then over time, the training and the nutrition piece became more. I was picking up more business and I started to freelance write less. Um, and eventually I was able to just kind of drop the writing altogether Um and I was working in fitness full time. Yeah. What? So then it might be a, a big jump forward in, in the career yeah. path, but what, what led you to start upper deck fitness? Kind of talk to that. Yeah. Um, I will say honestly that business ownership was never on my bucket list. Hmm. Um, both of my parents owned their own business as I was a child and I was very aware of the level of sacrifice that owning a business required. Um, I was also aware that a steady paycheck and health insurance and paid time off was a gift. Um, so business ownership was not like my end all be all, but I worked two jobs managing very big health clubs. And what I learned during that time or what I took away was that there are a lot of things wrong with the fitness industry, with the way that it is structured. Um, it's not always providing solutions. Very rarely is that what it's focused on. It's focused, it's a business, same concept as before. It's focusing on a bottom line, getting people in the door, getting them to commit to something and whether or not they actually come in and utilize the services is irrelevant because you have their money. Um, hmm. And not only did that not jive with me ethically, but I saw an opportunity to solve some pretty fundamental problems. Uh, I think everybody knows that it should be eating well and working out and exercising. The question is, why aren't more people doing it? So I saw the chance to create a facility, to create a brand, quite honestly, that got to the heart of those issues and offered resources, um, offered staff that was a resource in and of themselves um, to get people to consistently move and exercise. Granted, yes, everybody wants to get healthy and lose weight. Um, but in my opinion, those are the pleasant side effects, if you will, of just getting into a regular routine of taking care of yourself. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of reframing the equation, and I think that's what also bothered me, and, I, and actually you somewhat come into play here. I've always wrestled very much so with the aesthetic component of this industry. Um, 
on both sides. One is that the consumer typically comes into a gym because they want to alter their appearance. Mm -hmm. I'd say 90% of the time that's the case. Um, And on the flip side, the professionals in the industry are typically very absorbed with their appearance and use their physicality to sell their brand and their philosophy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've wrestled with this a lot because I don't want that to be the main motivation for somebody to come into Upper Deck or to work with me. Um, Yes, I I take very good care of my body and I feel that the way it looks is a direct result of that. Um, But I don't want that to be the driving force. Mm -hmm. And if I can change that, and, and honestly, it's what it's been my own personal transformation that for so long movement was about altering my appearance and it's not anymore for me. It's become something so much bigger and momentous than that. And if I can do that for people and um, get them to change their relationship with themselves through their relationship with movement, then I've completely done my job. Hmm. Interesting. Why was that moment in time when you decided to start that business? Why, why was that the right moment for you? It was 100% out of necessity. I was divorced and unemployed and I had reached a point in my career where there's a bit of a ceiling in the fitness industry, you know, like you're either a full-time trainer and you could be a great trainer and make very good money. Um, or you run some sort of facility like uh, on the management side. And I had done both of those things and neither of them felt like enough for me. Mm -hmm. They just didn't feel fulfilling. Um, I didn't want to go back to running another big health club. I knew I was only going to run into the same problems again. So it really became a necessity. I had to create something for myself that a, yes, I could earn a living and make some money. Um, but that B became kind of like my own reflective of my own personal mantra. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I want to go back to that question. You said, why aren't people more yeah, mobile doing what they know they should be doing. Yeah. So what are yeah. some of the answers you're finding to that question? Yeah, there's, there's a few. Um, some of them are very practical as in things aren't convenient. Um, fitness is not always accessible to everybody. It often comes particularly in our neck of, work, uh, neck of the woods with a very high price point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that's one very big fundamental problem. Um, the other is, a little bit more um, structural in regards to people don't do things with consistency. Uh, and the reason for that is they don't enjoy what they're doing. Um, I always use Zumba as an example. Nobody thought Zumba was going to be what it is and in, in, in let alone stick along as stick around as long as it has. But the reason it has is because people love to dance. So they go take a class and they feel they love it. They're having fun. They feel amazing. Um, and what do they want to do? They want to go back the next day. Um, so, you know, movement as not 
reframing movement not as a chore, but as something that your body was meant to do and that could actually be a pleasant part of the process is a really big piece of the equation. I think a lot of people hate to exercise because they've been doing the wrong types. It's like when somebody says to me, I hate to run, it hurts, but I, I do it anyway. But it's like the most asinine thing I could possibly hear. Yeah. Um, and the third piece of the puzzle to me, which is perhaps the most important, is very philosophical, if you will. And it's because people are lacking the motivation, the reason why they want to be a better version of themselves. Um, I think most people don't understand how absolutely incredible they could feel, both physically and mentally. They have no real point of comparison. Um, They're more apt to be content with where they are than to strive for better. Um, They may be in a relationship or a professional job, a situation where they're put down on a regular basis and their self-esteem's in the gutter. Um, And that's kind of where they reside. So I think when somebody is truly fueled with the why, you know, you need to, there needs to be a reason you get out of bed at 4.30 in the morning to work out. And we have a lot of people who do. You know, that's that's a pretty profound thing. And simply wanting to lose weight or look good in a pair of pants is not enough motivation to keep you going for a lifetime. <laughs> you, you need to, like, find something bigger and better than yourself that really, you know, it's almost spiritual, quite honestly, to mm-hmm. take it to that place. But I think a lot of people are lacking that because for so long, exercise has been this thing that a doctor tells you to do because you're overweight or your cholesterol is high. It's punishment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, now granted, we're shifting a lot because the fitness industry has taken off considerably. And now there's Soul Cycle and all of these great places where people can go and listen to awesome music and have fun. Um, but that also comes with a bit of a price tag too. Yeah. And I think like still the underlying message is to look more amazing. I, I don't know. I feel 100%. like, you know what I mean? Like they can, it, it is more fun. It is more fun than just doing deadlifts all day long. But of course, you know, at the same time, I feel like what, what, and this is what's my next question is for you is, you know, what's interesting about those things is that they've marketed them to like have fun while you still fit into those pair of jeans that you never could fit into, you know? Yeah. So, where, so, so that's what I'm curious with you is I understand now I understand better kind of what's your differentiator in the market. But when you have all of culture sending different messages to, to the, to the world, to society, how do you, make yourself appealing to people that, that they want to go yeah. with your approach versus the conventional approach? You know, it's a great question, and I think about it on a daily basis because I told my team before we opened our doors that what we were proposing to do wasn't sexy. Right. Um, And I get that, you know. However, I think there is such an insatiable need for what we're doing. For example, we um, you may see on social media, I'm wearing a shirt right now that says because I hashtag because I can across my chest. Our two biggest hashtags are because I can and work in progress. And what we strive to do is talk to the real people in the world who are not a size zero or a size two and understand that they really don't even need to be. Um, and we profile everyday people doing 
or ordinary people doing extraordinary things. So because I can, for example, has become this rally cry in regards to I get I am so blessed. I get so much correspondence on a regular basis from my clientele telling me that they picked up a 40 pound bag of dog food and threw it in the trunk like it was a pillow and they were never able to do that before Mm -hmm. so by profiling that those types of stories we become very relatable because that's again going back to why people aren't exercising more this industry is completely intimidating i will never I, i hesitate to put myself in my own marketing because people look at me Mm-hmm. And think I can never look like that. And that's not the message I want to send. Mm-hmm. So I am much more apt. We have a client here. We, we use him a lot. But um, from a marketing perspective, he's lost 120 pounds. And he still has room to go. And this guy has done it all the hard way. By training here. By working with me on his food. It's taken two years to lose the weight. He is exactly the type of poster child I want to have. He's a divorced dad. You know, he's a working professional. Um, He is exactly who I want to represent the Upper Deck brand. Mm. So while it may not be always, I'll be honest, I think one of the main reasons we are standing out right now is because our messaging is so different Mm -hmm. because we're not posting people in yoga poses, headstands and, you know, Lululemon clothes all the time. And I think what we're doing is we are attracting a crowd of people that nobody has been talking to. Um, And as a result, our clientele, which I will say skew older, or I actually like to use the word mature um, for this industry. And by that, I mean our core demographic is between 40 and 55 years old. And then we have, we go, we have clients in their seventies. Um, We have very few 20-somethings that work out here. And I think it largely has to do with our messaging. Mm -hmm. We're attracting a crowd who, like you said, has tried every damn diet on the planet, who has been to every gym and fitness center, and who is finally understanding that, you know, they need a combination of hard work and some education in order to make this work. Um, And as a result, from a business perspective, quite honestly, they're an incredibly loyal consumer base. Um, They have the disposable income at this stage in their life. So, you know, I'm not worrying so much with the price point issue. Um, But they they're seeing results in that in and of itself. My crowd, even though our workouts here, I obviously believe are very top notch. Our crowd is not going to run out the door when the next fad, orange theory, soul cycle, fill in the blank, Mm -hmm. opens down the block. They they don't care about that stuff. They don't go to a gym to be seen. You know, they go to a gym to, to, yes, to see the people that are there because the community we've created here is a big piece of the accountability side of things. Um, But they go to get the work done. And to spend some time on their, on themselves as opposed to, again, making it such an outward activity. Yeah. So how does that actually work? So if I were to come into your place, I mean, are you – am I signing up for programs? Am I signing up for a membership to the club to be used at any time I yeah. want? Am I, am I working with you firsthand to determine what it is I even need? And- exactly. 
Yeah, great questions. And there's been, I, I can't express how much thought went into our strategy and our approach. Um, so we, you probably saw it on the site, and I actually just had a meeting about moving, we're moving some stuff around on the website because I don't feel it's prominent enough. But we um, have built our brand around a concept I created called prescribed fitness. Um, and basically what that means is that depending on what your goals are, you need to follow a bit of a protocol, um, and that everybody should not be doing the same thing or just coming in and haphazardly taking classes randomly on the class schedule, that there's method to the madness. If you truly want to see results, um, whether that means weight loss, I want to get stronger. I need to work on my mobility. I am stressed out of my mind. Um, so there's a lot of logic behind what we do and when we do it. Um, so if you were to walk through the door, first things first, we don't have a membership. Um, and we consider that to be a major feather in our cap. Everything here is pretty much a la carte play, pay as you go. Mm-hmm. You pay for what you need when you need it. Um, a lot of people told me that it was before I opened the doors, that it was brilliant, but really brisk risky from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were right on both accords. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's risky in the sense of we do not for the most part have steady monthly income, right. meaning right. I don't know what next month's going to look like. Now on the flip side of that, it forces us to be on our a game to make sure we are constantly providing a incredible customer service experience on from the minute somebody walks in the door until they leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some we're the gym that checks in with people when they don't show up, text messages, emails, that kind of thing. Um, It's also been a major selling point to get people in the door because one of the main hesitations, again, going back to your initial question, people don't want to commit to something before they know they really like it. They sign their life away at another gym. And then for the next year, whether they use it or not, it's getting auto deducted out of their checking account. <laughs> exactly. You know, so for when people hear that, it makes the point of entry very accessible and kind of like, okay, I can try this for a month. And again, our attrition rate is incredibly low that once people are here, they're pretty much not leaving. Um, so somebody comes to the door and the first thing they do is they get a consult with me. Um, I literally spend an hour of of my time with somebody having a pretty in-depth conversation about their health history, their goals, what it is they're looking to achieve their lifestyle. Are they a corporate exec? Are they a stay at home mom? Do they travel a lot? What does their life look like so that I can then give them their prescription and the prescription can contain one of or several of many things ranging from classes on our class schedule to private training to massage to some nutritional support um and usually the prescription they're given is something that we ask them to follow for about a month kind of like this is where i think you should start and again can you meet me halfway and say you'll at least try this for a month and see where we land Mm -hmm. um And again, we're here to hold them accountable for that. So if somebody looks me in the eye and says, I really want to do this and I need your help, they're going to get that. Um, And some people would probably say we go overboard with it. But like I said, if somebody hasn't been in for a few days, this stuff keeps me up at night. Um, And I make a running list. We run something we call our MIA report. We run it weekly. And if somebody hasn't been in 
they're getting a phone call, a text message, an email from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's very hands-on. Um, I don't mind holding hands, so to speak. Some people say, you know, some trainers have egos that they shouldn't have to do that. Kind of like, you know, pay me for my time, show up, I'll kick your butt. And, you know, I just think that's so incomplete. I think it's wrong. And I think it's so incomplete. If we are not addressing with the clients what's going on in their life outside of the hours during the week they spend with us, we're never going to make true progress with them. Because if it was as simple as show up and do this workout every day, everybody would be doing it and everybody would look and feel amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what, what the other models never take into account is all the history that one walks in the doors with their, you know, misconceptions, their shortcomings, their, I consider it some of the most important use of my time here. I, I get pretty deep. You know, I, I ask, you know, everything's confidential. Um, and you'd be surprised what people share with you. I'm pretty, um, certain that people are desperate to be heard in our world now. Um, you know, whether they're unhappy at work or in their marriage, uh, they want a sounding board. They want to be able to be acknowledged for their feelings and to tell somebody that. And people share a lot with me. Um, and then what we do and to the extent, you know, I feel that it's warranted. We meet weekly as a staff, uh, every Thursday at 1 PM. Um, I fill the staff in on anybody new that's walked through the door. Um, and, Everything I feel they need to know about that person, whether they were in a car accident years ago and have a spinal fu- had a spinal fusion and et cetera, et cetera, medical type stuff, um, or they're going through a divorce right now and again their self confidence is in the gutter and we need to really make sure that we're going above and beyond with how we motivate them. Um, so it's it's a team approach. Um, and conversely, they come back to me, my staff and give me feedback and let me know what they're seeing with certain people, Mm -hmm. um, so that we can kind of strategize about how to get through to these people to actually make a difference in their lives. Yeah. That's cool. But we, the, the psychological side of it. I would not be able to do my job, even if I just had somebody fill out a basic medical questionnaire. Um, It's such a one-sided part of the story. Mm -hmm. You can, simply asking people what they do for a living, asking if they enjoy their job, asking them some very basic questions will open up a whole world of information that will tell you a lot about how that person, whether or not they're a self-motivator, you know, how they perform. And I can tell so much about a person by the way they approach a workout. Um, and vice versa by what we you know what they tell me they have going on in their everyday lives. But that to me is the beauty of fitness. There is such a parallel between our relationship with our bodies and movements and how we approach things in our day-to-day lives. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine you, you, you're, you're just changing the conversation when people walk into your space, 100%. they're just, they already know. Whether they know it's a safe space or not, they know it's a different space and they know like you're, and I compare it a lot to my very first functional medicine appointment. And I don't know if, mm-hmm. um, 
I don't know if this is universal for this particular practice or if it's just my the practitioner I go to, but I mean, she had a 45 question uh, online survey that we needed to fill out before we even showed up. And these are uh-huh. questions like, you know, not what hurts. It's questions like, yes, what's, exactly. uh, what's uh, the most stressful experience you went through in life and, and how did you manage that experience? Uh-huh. Or, um, and there are questions like, what, you know, what sort of medications have you taken for periods of time, of that kind of stuff. But like, by the time I walk into the appointment, she has such a better understanding of who I am as a person. Absolutely. And we, and the way her model worked too was, I mean, we sat and talked for an hour and a half before we even, she did, I don't, she might've done a quick physical at the end. Yeah. And, and, uh, but she had a lot of time allotted for me, got to know me. It wasn't, I wasn't rushed by the waiting room that was packed outside. Sure. And there, sure. and there wasn't, um, you know, quick, like what's wrong. Okay. Here, take two of these. Yeah. You're referencing she's, she's treating the individual and not just the symptoms. Yes. Um, which again, in my world, the symptom is I need to lose weight or, you know, I was injured and I need to recover from it, you know, as opposed to treating the individual as a whole who got themselves in that situation to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, 99% 99% of the time, everybody who comes into my facility, to your point, has tried out at least a dozen other things in their lifetime or has gone, has gained weight, lost weight, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of the day, I want to stop that pattern yeah. of ebbing and flowing and figure out what that person needs in order. We're all going to have our moments, you know, but like, what does that person need? need to thrive consistently yep just two more quick questions i was curious would you have people then who have walked into your office you've met with them for that hour and you just you might have determined you're you're not a fit they're not the right fit yeah yeah yes um i have and it's people who throughout the course of the conversation make it very clear that they're looking for results very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, A, I will never promise something that I cannot deliver on. Um, And B, just that quick fix mentality really flies in the face of what we're trying to do here, which is, again, create some rhythm and to make this about the process itself. You know, the hashtag work in progress is there to remind all of us that this isn't, there's just real, there's no real end game. Mm -hmm. You know, like, yes, of course we want you to reach the goals that you're articulating, but this is a, this is a process and something that's, you know, could be really fulfilling and enjoyable if you view it in that way. So there's definitely been the quick fix people that I've had to, you know, and I have to say most people are grateful when I say, Mm -hmm. I don't think we're the right fit for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be a match for everybody. And even what you said, the word process, even that word kind of rubs me wrong a little bit, just because it seems like the way I'm interpreting it myself is like process still seems in my mind as there's a starting and an ending. Yes, you do this, 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 and this. Right. And then, yeah, absolutely. And like lifestyle is what I've used to just where you're like, there is no, there's no beginning or ending. There's, there's dips and valleys, you know, even, even absolutely. when you're, you're intending to always be on, on your game, if you will, there's going to be health challenges with you ever. But the lifestyle that I've used in the past has been so perfectionistic of, it's got to be 
like, well, I, I missed today. Might as well start next Monday. Cause like right. you, could, you yes, couldn't start, <laughs> you couldn't start that afternoon or the next day. It was like, no, I have to, I have to do every week, five times a week is you not know, worth anything. All or so. nothing. That's one other thing I'll say is that's our concept here with the prescriptions. So we give somebody something to follow, but then we're constantly checking in with them. So, mm-hmm. you know, life does ebb and flow and there are certainly curveballs in life. So for example, God forbid if somebody loses a family member, you know, their parent passes away and their life's been turned upside down. Well, okay, you're not, we're going to tweak the prescription because what you need right now is different than what you needed when you walked in the door two months ago, um, or you lost your job or you got a new job or, you know, good, bad, and different. I think it's one of the things really lacking in the fitness world is we don't step back to reassess our approach. Our our approach to our health should ebb and flow with us. Exactly. So maybe, I mean, you've kind of alluded to it in different ways, but what's, what's the, the one thing you hope people take away from upper deck fitness or not, maybe not the one thing, but what is is the collection of things? Well, again, I, I really, I really hope to change, I said it earlier, to change people's relationship with themselves. And by that, I mean, obviously, the self-care piece. I want everybody to understand that they are worthy of taking care of themselves. And that is not selfish. Um, That it's your responsibility to your body, to your psyche, to the people in your life to be the best possible human being you can be. So, you know... First and foremost, I pray for that. And I I really hope that in that people start to view exercise differently as a gift, as a as a vehicle for that type of personal transformation. We all have days where we push ourselves through a workout when there's 20 other things we'd rather do. Um, and sometimes it, it doesn't feel great. I'm not trying to say that, you know, exercise is butterflies and sunshine all the time. Um, but what you <laughs> learn about yourself through the process, you know, I, you know, doubting yourself and then overcoming that, what that experience can then translate to in your everyday life can be life changing. And it has been for me, fitness gave me the strength and I do not mean physically, but mentally to make some of the biggest, hardest decisions in my life. Um, because I felt secure in who I was and who I was becoming. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much. This has been awesome. Thank I learned you, so much. Joe. I really appreciate the opportunity to kind of, um, you know, flesh some of this out. It helps me as well because it's, yeah. in the scheme of things, it's happened very quickly. And, um, you know, sometimes taking a step back to reflect can be really powerful. So thank you. Okay. We'll talk to you Take soon. Take care, Joe. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Metaphorically Speaking. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate us on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. For more information and to check out our full library of entrepreneurial interviews, visit keyholemarketing.us. Also, feel free to send us an email anytime at hi at keyholemarketing.us. Thank you for listening.